Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews. Uh, 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 oh, oh, oh. He's oh, going to no. redo on the Red Team Redo's podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, fuck that. I think you should keep that. No, I think you should keep that. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck off. Fuck all you people that want me to fail. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Red Team Reviews podcast. I'm TJ Patrick, the voice you're hearing currently. Joined, and this is not up for debate, by the Alberto to my Luca. Oh, we're gay now? It's not, you know it's not that, you know it's the fact that I am the paranoid scared one and you are the one that constantly berates me into doing shit that I don't want to do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and you're better for it, okay? Oh, but also convenience. But also, (laughs) but also I would never, I would never betray you to another friend out of jealousy and stubbornness. I also like to learn. Um, anyway. <laughs> yes, I should say a vastly more curious and intellectual Alberto. <laughs> who would never also for Italian. a second. Who would never. Have insane yes. hair. Yeah. <laughs> who would also never for one second believe that the stars were fish. Um. <laughs> but I think that's cute. I think that's fucking adorable. And the sequences they do after. Anyway. We're talking new releases. This is like the yeah. first time we're ever doing like a true, like these are direct new releases that people only just could be able to watch now. Luca literally came out today. Yeah. Here, at least. I know in other places it came out earlier, but. Um, oh, was it internationally released earlier? Uh, I think the Netherlands is the one that got it on the 16th. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> at least uh, give it to uh, Italy. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we're not just talking about Luca today. We are talking also about Raya and the Last Dragon today. Because it um, was available in March, but we didn't want to pay for it. No. And I think we should set aside some time to throw some shit on Disney because we should always, at any given opportunity, never hesitate to throw shit on Disney because what the actual fuck with this Disney Plus bullshit of some things like Soul and Luca are released free. And then some things you pay 30 goddamn dollars to see fucking Cruella. Oh yeah, no. No. I don't know why anyone would do that. Everyone seems to be disappointed and we will not be covering that movie. That's weird though, because I've also heard people go, wow, I didn't expect Cruella to be so far the best movie of the year. So I... I can't I'm get past what I know of it. Can I spoil? Can I? Sp- I don't know if no. you've also heard this. People came here for spoilers on Luca and Raya. It's not fair to then also spoil Cruella. All right. I literally did think about, though, I'm like, but this would be the perfect three movies to cover is Raya and Luca and Cruella is like, that would be the ones that make the most sense. Um, yeah, but fuck that. But I don't want to go to a movie theater new, to watch Cruella. 
they just they just announced that they're doing a Gaston prequel. I, I, I they can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> it's been quoted how many times in a row in this this month? <laughs> Technically, this is the first time they will have heard me do it. Because <laughs> that's a later episode. All <laughs> oh, right, um, we recorded it first. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're just talking about the animated uh, good ones. Um, and I say good, <laughs> precursoring, you know, commentary, because I don't know how TJ felt about them. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's also very fitting that these will fall in Pride Month. <laughs> yeah! Very fitting. But we'll, I mean, honestly, I have so much to say about that on top of it. So, like, let's just, so, let's just get into it. There's, there's no there's backgrounds, because, no, yeah. Yeah, there's no backgrounds. Except, I guess, I mean, maybe pay a little lip service to fuck everyone who was a dick to Kelly Marie Tran. Like, just Yes, of course. Just because fuck off. She owns in this movie. Like, she owns in just regular life. Kelly Marie Tran is more of a badass than any of the people that said any shit to her on any social media platform and will continue to only be more of a fucking queen from this day forward. <laughs> and if you're curious about like, oh, you know what? I, I'd like to hear Trevor and TJ's opinions on on more of why she was bullied that way. Um, just refer back to the entire month of May and everything we said about fuck Asian hate. Cause that's, that's really what it boils down to. Like if she was anyone else, it would not be the same. Um, so that's bullshit. Uh, and also we take a few jabs at star Wars fans when we talk about star Wars movies. So yeah, just go watch all the star Wars episodes. Too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, if you want, we have yet to do the, you know where to find it yet to do the sequels where we will just, Hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I have a little bit more faith because you guys won't hear this, but it will. Co it's coming up soon. Uh, I used to kind of doubt. I'm like, well, we can all say like we're gonna like rip a movie a new one and all that stuff. Do we? Do we actually have that within us to really do without like getting too jokey about it? And like, no. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that we've recorded an episode that will come out later and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have it in us. <laughs> it's fun. It's very fun. So uh, when we get to fucking the sequel movies of those Star Wars films, we're gonna have a lot of vitriol. <laughs> you, you For a more lot so than of me. things. You more so than me. We all know how I am about franchises. I, I stopped stopped caring that much. I just my thing isn't even franchise. It's it's just like. Basic competency. Like, come on. <laughs> so let's talk about the movies we're supposed to be talking about. Um, <laughs> um, Ryan the Last Dragon. I'm... I'm wondering if we should go through the plot. I think doing an early summary is okay. Um, Because there's a... There's actually a lot. It's a lot to of like, plot. Yeah, there's a lot of backstory to like get through. With there's a Ryan lot of story. Yeah, like, you can you can keep this audio in. Like you know, I did not expect a like 
getting a crew together or like found family like i love that I, would you even call that a subplot or is that a plot i just wasn't expecting i don't it's i don't mind it but it just it just became it's like a hybrid adventure slash heist movie that's what it is yeah i i just didn't expect it and i felt like maybe there wasn't there was not enough time given to everybody involved um that's kind of where i'm at with it but yeah i mean like there's just there's a lot of plot because like even even in the first 20 minutes there's a lot to say yeah i mean this is a movie like it's almost like this has become one of the most roundabout compliments i've started to give certain things honestly if there's a if there's a raya series I honestly would have preferred it that way. Yeah, that's probably the better way to do Raya. Not to say that I think that they should just like start over and redo Raya as a series, but well, I guess Alton have have they done that? Somebody has done that. I know. I don't think that they've ever done a like planned three movie arc for a Disney quote-unquote princess. Well, we're kind... I feel like we're kind of gonna get that with Elsa. Yeah, but I mean, but even then, it wasn't planned. No. <laughs> no this no, is no, the no, thing no, where no. it's like, like you could do the story of Raya and the Last Dragon over at least two movies. Um, You know, you could have you could have teased that out, because there's so many places to go. Like, it does, it does have some heavy, like, Avatar The Last Airbender vibe. Yeah. I don't think anyone was even shy about that inspiration, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I guess, do you want to be the one to summarize this one, and then I'll do Riot Luca, or vice versa? I'm fine with I mean, that. Luca's pretty Luca's pretty easy to explain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will, um, I'll do this. I'll do it. Okay. So, well, Ryan, I can, I can try because I'm remembering. I'm remembering in the one that we've already recorded. Like you, you do a lot of. You do a lot of heavy lifting in that one, so I'll trade off. You're um, mimicking me. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm gaming. <laughs> My best friend does that to me. All right, all right, all right. So, in as few words as I can. I'm not promising anything, but here we go. Trying to do it the simplest way. So basically, at one point in the world of Raya, there were dragons, multiple dragons, like many, many, many dragons in the world of Kumandra. And they helped humanity like live. They helped prosper. They gave them many gifts and, you know, it was all around real great. And then specifically water. Yes, specifically water. Uh, because fun fact, uh, dragons for the most part within history were like mainly water dragons. Like I, it's always a side comment in like overly sarcastic productions videos. Whenever somebody talks about a dragon and red constantly has to side note of like, again, and again, it's al- always a fire breathing dragon. Like why are there no water dragons? Um, so, there comes this plague thing called the Droon. It's not really explained why it came, really. Like, I know there's kind of an explanation, like, further into the movie, but initially, it's just like, yeah, and then the Droon showed up. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
Um, basically, the Droon turn people and dragon alike into stone, and when they do that, they split off into another. Uh, cut off one head, another shall take its place. Um, that kind of thing. And there are a couple of rules with the Droon, much like gremlins. Uh, they are not good with water. They don't do it. No. And uh, also, the dragons can make a certain magic that repels the Droon. And so the dragons banded together to try and save the world, and they created this gem, this dragon gem that uh, was supposed to wipe out, you know, the Droon and save the day. And many dragons gave their lives for this gem to uh, be created. And then... uh, And then the dragon Sisu specifically was given the gem to uh, save the day, but weirdly, it kind of half saved the day. Like, the Droon were, like, repelled, and yeah, they were held in check, sure. Uh, But the dragons weren't brought back. They're still stone, but the humans were all saved. And then literally paraphrased in the movie, uh, Raya is giving the voiceover for this history lesson. And she says, now you would think after this that humanity would like band together. No. (laughs) So basically the land split into uh, very distinct sections of people. There, There are the talon, the tail, the spine, the fang... And the heart. So five tribes. Because the the land is based around a dragon-looking lake. Yes. Or sea. Uh, And in the heart... So the parts of the dragon are the names. Yes. And in the land of the heart is said dragon gem. Now, the other tribes got it into their head that, oh, if we get the dragon gem, then we we can, like, have prosperity for our people... And then Raya's dad is very quick to say when this is brought up, like, that's not how that works. (laughs) That's not what's going to happen. The dragon gem was literally created for this specific purpose of driving out the Droon. That's kind of it. But the tribes are selfish and they kind of got in their hands of like, they want to protect their people. And more importantly, they don't want another tribe to have it. And they don't. So Raya's dad tries to gather all the people together and actually get them to coexist, and he has, like, a little summit, and Raya initially is kind of resistant to this, but she meets one of the uh, children, the Fang leader's child, the princess of the uh, Fang tribe, uh, and her name is Namari, and they hit it off really quick, and then Raya jumps a bunch of levels and goes, you know what? I think you're cool enough. Let's go see the dragon gem that everyone wants. Uh, And then, surprise, Namari betrays her and is like, ha ha, now the Fang are going to get it. And then everyone's like, well, if the Fang are going to get it, then we're going to get it. And then there's this big tussle. They break the gem conveniently into five pieces. And each leader gets a piece. And then, oh no, now the Droon are back. You idiots. And uh, Raya's dad is turned to stone. A lot of fucking people are turned to stone. He basically sacrificed himself to, like, yeet Raya into the river because, again, Droon don't do water. And we jump a 
unclear amount of time later. I think, do they actually say how long it is? I don't remember, but it's very much she went from being, like, 13 to, like, 22. Yeah, like, you can, like, just kind of, like, very quickly, 10 years. Sure, 10 years passed. Um, so now Raya is trying to collect the pieces and fix everything, and she's trying to bring back Sisu, the dragon that initially saved the world. And she does. Very quickly. And Sisu comes back, and she's like, hooray! And then Sisu ends up being Aquafina, and she's like, oh, Lessie, oh. <laughs> okay, so, so... Just note, like, the reason she comes back so quickly is because way back, even 10 years ago, uh, Namari and, and Raya were t- were talking because they're dragon nerds. They were talking about, like, well, maybe Sisu's on one of these, like, five rivers. And so eventually she gets to a point where she gets out to the end of Tail and follows all five rivers to see if she can find Sisu. Right. Um. Yeah, that that wasn't really a... I wasn't, like, trying to criticize the movie for that. I was just saying, oh, okay. like... If you're expecting like part of the journey to be bringing Sisu back, like no, th- that that does that's done very quickly. <laughs> um, it's it's basically what the second thing that kicks off this this actual story. The other stuff is yeah. the backstory. Um, and then yeah, Sisu, as it turns out, is not this big, strong, eloquent leader dragon that shall solve all of your problems. No, it's Aquafina, and Aquafina's like, ah, look, bruh, I'm not, like, the best dragon. It's one of those stories. Um, so it's not quite Mushu, but it's almost Mushu. Um, and, yeah, basically the rest of the movie is them trying to find and collect all the five, sto- four, because Rai has her own, uh, the four stolen pieces of the dragon gem, uh, and along the way, they get a friend, at least one friend, in pretty much everywhere they go. Uh, and they become this ragtag, you know, group of people with their own set of skills, and they help each other, and they bond, and it is a found family kind of story. And Namari is also hunting her this entire time. Yes. Uh, Namari is the constant antagonist. Zuko! <laughs> I... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, well, I mean, it's like if you, yeah, it's kind of like if you did combine Zuko and Azula a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, and that's basically the story. The story kind of goes down that path for much of the rest of it. Uh, and a recurring theme is like trust and like trusting people and, you know, whether you should or not, because some people have succumbed to the worst of humanity and, you know, should you stay optimistic? Should you, you know, stretch out one hand and arm the other? You know, that kind of thing. And Sisu, the dragon, is very blindly optimistic and she has to learn a couple times that, like, you can't just... (laughs) You can't just blindly trust anyone. There kind of has to be a little bit of meet us in the middle of, like... I need to know that I can kind of trust you first and then I will uh, give you trust because you've earned it. And But Raya is in the other extreme of like, well, fuck that. Don't trust anybody. And, you know, she's also wrong. It has to learn her lesson a little bit. But you also, as the viewer, can't blame her, especially when it comes to Namari because I'm like, 
Namari started this shit. (laughs) Even Raya was like, Namari started this. And Sisu's like, no, no. It's like, can she give her the benefit of the doubt long enough to, to unite that stone to the point where the final battle, like now Fang is, they end up in Fang and everything's exposed and the Droon are like all over the place and everyone ends up kind of, you know, fighting them off and all of this crew ends up turning, getting turned into statues together. And it's because Raya trusts Namari with all the pieces that the pieces then mold back together and everything is fixed and all the dragons come back. It's... Oh yeah. Also Sisu dies by Namari's hand by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I skipped over a part to get to this part. <laughs> It's just like that little out of context, just like, oh yeah, and like Namari totally murders Sisu and Cold. Yeah. <laughs> With fine. a crossbow. But <laughs> just like right through the heart. Like she goes down like a leaf in the wind. Just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you reach like level sixty or level eighty in Pokemon and then you go fight Moltres with like a fucking Blastoise and it's just over. Oh god. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to. I had to go there. Um, <laughs> so that's basically Raya, and just giving the story. You know, it's like okay, that seems interesting, but there's a lot in the cracks of the like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot in the weeds, and there's a lot done within scenes, and one of my kind of things that I kept coming back to was like, okay, some of the dialogue is a little on the nose and it's a, it's a little cringily written sometimes because of that, because it's like, we really have to outwardly say exactly what we want to convey instead of conveying what we want to convey. It's the classic, you know, show don't tell thing, but People yeah. seem to think because this is a kids movie, they need to really just pound the nail in with a sledgehammer sometimes, and it's like, okay, guys, you're so, well, you're again, insulting some of these kids. <laughs> I think this is I think this is part of why you and me, as like a critical look at this, are looking at this saying, look, I'd like two movies tops, uh, two movies minimum for this because. I want to know more about, uh, what's his name? Um, what is his name? I forgot to write down his name. Um, the little boy. Um, oh, I know what you mean. Boone? Yeah, Boone. Boone? I want to know about Boone. I want to know about, uh, Benedict Wong's character. Like, um, you know, we can spend more time in these various different locations and, like, you could set up, like, sub arcs with, like, things like, how do they do more when it comes to the culture of Talon and how do they do more with, um, you know, the kind of last man standing in spine, what's going on in heart ever since Raya left it. Like there's a lot of stuff that like, I want to know now because you set up this interesting world, which kind of gets me to like, I kind of want to start by talking about why they chose not to put this, even though obviously all of these stories have mythology and magic involved. This is the first one that I can think of, even though, like, they don't say they're in France with, like, uh, 
like they don't say they're in like France Germany border with like Cinderella. They don't say they're in in Germany with with uh, you know Rapunzel, but like we get that. Um, this is one of the first times where they're like, this is explicitly a fictional land. And I'm, I have like interesting mixed feelings about it because there are some things that are like forced more fictional because of it, but also like, it's kind of smart because when you talk about Southeast Asia, it is so divided by islands, rivers, and mountains that these cultures are can be very isolated and very different when you go from Vietnam to Laos to Cambodia to Thailand to Burma, Myanmar, um, to Malaysia, to Singapore, and even Indonesia in a way. Um, they, they can all just be so vastly different in their cultures and how they interpret some of the similar roots. Um, like, you know, temples are different from Cambodia to Thailand to Vietnam, even though a lot of them are very based around like Buddhism um, and like the same kind of like, you know, spiritual worship, like Taoism in China. Um, and then there's the Chinese influence and the Indian influence. And there's like, there's so much going on in the small, like region that's kind of an intersection of a lot of the world that it, it does become smart to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to set this in a thematic version of Southeast Asia to better represent without stigmatizing or preferring a certain culture, even though they kind of do. Um, because I, I will say from my knowledge, like I would say that Heart is probably Thailand and that uh, Talon is probably Cambodia uh, and that Fang is definitely Singapore. Like that one is on the nose because Singapore is an island. It is very like, we are who we are. You are not going to conquer us or have anything to do with you. It is immensely prosperous. I hear that they have kind of an ego. Um, and so like, it makes sense that Fang has that canal that separates them from the mainland that they would be Singapore. It's where you get into like tail and spine that it's weird because like there isn't really a desert area in Southeast Asia, nor is there really a snowy area. Like you kind of can get into them Himalayas in like Myanmar, but like even then that's more Bangladesh and Bhutan, which would be more considered South Asian. And so like in a way I'm like, ah, I feel like you're you're pushing this out farther than it should be and not totally representing and focusing on the culture. But in other ways, it's like, oh, that's obvious. Like that's clearly what what this person is representing in the grand like structure of everything. And to uh, back up just a little bit, because um, when I when I say something like, uh, you know, I feel like some things are kind of hit really hard over the head. It's not to say that, you know, I don't want more. Like, it's not to say that, like, I don't want more elaboration on, like, certain things and to live longer in certain areas. It's literally just the actual words of the dialogue sometimes of just, like, like the interaction initially between uh, Raya and Namari is one of those times where very quickly the writers have to immediately say what's going on between these two characters because the scene just won't last that long. But because they need to do it, yeah. they it's like instead of using a precision tool, they go in there with a hacksaw and just kind of like really the word choice of certain things and also the directed delivery of certain lines 
is just like, get it? We're getting along because we we have things in common. And it's just like, I I know. <laughs> you can just show yeah. them okay. having things in common. And I'll get it. And a 10-year-old will get it. <laughs> um, Like the dragon nerd thing is a very specific thing as an actor that I know these professional actors can say these lines and have it kind of not be so I feel the writer writing their intentions really loudly. Like that's a combination of word choice and direction sometimes where it's like, haha, yes, we are both dragon nerds. Huh? Instead of, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit of a dragon nerd. Dude, me too. Really? Yeah. Like some things are just like, okay, that could be a little bit more natural. <laughs> Well, so I will say this. I, I actually know of one of the writers. He is a playwright. He's a very oh. good playwright named Kiwin. And yeah, uh, and he does. A, I did a play of his in college called She Kills Monsters, which is all about Dungeons and Dragons and grief. And it's very, very good. So I very much like him. Um, and I think that like, yeah, I think this is more a case of there's a lot of story to cover. And I almost wouldn't even say it's necessarily like, I, I'm sure it's a flaw, but I wouldn't say it's like, you know, necessarily that it wasn't the right writers. Like this guy is, is, you know, Vietnamese. Um, he's a very good playwright. I've seen multiple things of his and been in one. Um, and then on top of that, like on top of that, even though like a lot of the producers are, uh, you know, white producers and like, you know, uh, a lot of the people who worked on it were white. They actually didn't have a crazy amount of Southeast Asian representation in this. And on top of that, like Daniel Day Kim plays, the father and chief of heart and he's Korean and like, so there's, there's like, and Gemma Chan is, is specifically like English, like through Hong Kong. And so like, it's, it's a, you know, there, there are other things where I'm like, "Mm, I really kind of wish you had spent more time with Southeast, Southeast Asian representation because it seems like Kelly Marie Tran is your only one. Um, but that being said, they did like do a whole tour as you do with a Disney contract and like getting getting the information and getting the cultures. And they also went out of their way to like look into Southeast Asian martial arts in the fighting. Um, because the the writer uh Ki Win, uh he also did the fight, like help with fight choreography for like the it's not stop motion, but like it's based off of actual technique. And he did all that research too, so that it was authentically like these are fighting styles and weaponry from the region. So it didn't just become generically like, oh, this is like big, big cinema of China Kung Fu. That's different. And I appreciate that. But uh, I think, okay, I think I've gone long enough. We've been talking about the movie long enough for me to probably share my main. It's not, I don't like calling it my main criticism. But it is the thing that every... It was the thing that most often came up in my mind of like, okay, I don't... I don't love this. So it's not really a criticism. It's more so just like, I, I kept thinking, I don't love this decision. And I'm sorry. I know I'm going to get pushback. I know people are going to come for me. I don't love Aquafina as Sisu. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is. It's just a thing of, 
the voice and the character seem too separate in my brain. Sometimes. I can literally see Aquafina in the booth doing these lines and being directed, and it feels less like a character that belongs to this world when she speaks specifically. Well, that's how I felt about Onward, and so I would just recommend a second watch, maybe. Um, I mean, given they did her human form, because Sisu can turn human, um, and the line that I found very funny when she does that was, look how close my butt is to my head. I found that funny. Um, is that like they definitely, like, they animated that character around her. Like, this very much became, like, a Robin Williams genie situation, which is definitely kind of seems like what they were going for. Like, genie meets Dory, which I agree is not perfect, but maybe it's just not for us. Maybe? I don't know. It's also just the thing, that's kind of also the other part of that issue is that I never found Sisu funny. Which... You're hard. You're you're hard to make. Less, I'm really unless not, though. <laughs> you know this just from being around me. I laugh constantly. <laughs> Look, just because she's not Simon Pegg doesn't mean. I mean, Simon Pegg is not one of these people that like infamously makes me laugh because I just think he's a good actor. Like he has also made me cry. Hey, like, think of it this way: John Mulaney trusts Aquafina, so we'll 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 give her. I mean, I'm not even here saying that Aquafina isn't funny. I think Sisu isn't that funny. Like, I, that's just... I mean, that being said, it's not that funny of a movie. But that's the, this is part of the thing, is that it feels like a genie thing. Which is, I'm glad you brought it up. It feels like they took this character and they modeled it around Aquafina and I wouldn't even be surprised if it came out that like Aquafina like got to riff a lot and ad lib and they kept a lot of stuff in and like that's all well and good but then you run into a problem if you do all that and then like some things are just subjective and me not really finding Sisu all that funny or entertaining like it kind of kills some of that momentum because it's like, well, you're kind of relying on me to find Sisu funny. Some scenes are completely centered around Sisu being funny. I mean, I will say this. I think in truth, I did kind of notice this. I think the humor is just targeted elsewhere. Yeah. I think this is very young Gen Z. Like not even like, oh, Gen Z, like they're in college. Like I'm talking like, if we had siblings who were 13, that like really on the cusp of like, these are just kids now coming of age. I think it's very much their humor. Um, and so like, and that might be, I might be totally off. I, I Aquafina could hear this and be like, look, I don't just appeal to these people. And I'd be like, you're right. Um, I think maybe that's just where they were headed with it. I think, I think at the end of the day, yeah, I think it just comes down to like, totally get that you didn't find it that funny. I, I think then at that point, it's just, they chose to cast Aquafina because that was the humor they were going for. And because I can't think of anybody else who would replace her, especially if we're talking like this is set in Southeast Asia. Well, it's not a thing that I'm like saying, like, we should replace Aquafina in this role. Like, that's, 
Yeah. I know you're yeah. I know you're not saying that. I'm just I'm I'm theorizing. But it's it's like cause I want to give you that credit. <laughs> I have gone on record and we just recorded an episode the other day that will come out later where I will repeat this. So this is a thing that I kind of say I recently started saying this more and more of like make your main character funny. Make your main characters like interesting and entertaining. So you don't have to fully rely only on comic relief characters that are might work or might bomb. This is kind of a good, kind of a good example of that because, like, while I won't say that I was like guffawing at anything that Raya said, it was very clear that like Raya is the type of character that would make jokes, that would be a little bit more lighthearted in certain situations, and I appreciate that. Like, if this movie was about a stoic Raya and only Aquafina was the comic relief, that would have been a little, it would have been a little rough. It would have been a little grating. But I think it's a good idea that a lot of the comedy is shared around and passed around. Like, a lot of the side characters get to be funny in different ways. And I like that. Yeah, like... Like, you know, obviously, uh, Boone is, is, oh, this kid is hyper competent and that's a humor thing. And then, uh, I forget the name of, I think it's like Benedict Wong's character. I think his name is Tong, Tong, Tong. And I, I, like, literally I was like, it's, it it is, it rhymes with Wong. Um, (laughs) uh, Tong is, Tong is like the oblivious, like I must still defend, even though there's nothing to defend. I don't think And then little Hmm. Noi annoyed me. Sorry, what would what would I maybe I missed? I'll come back. This. I'll come back to that. Little Noi, uh, I didn't like Little Noi at first, but she grew on me in the final battle. Thankfully. I didn't think she was like particularly cute or funny. I was kind of like, uh, Kung Fu Baby. I don't really like. It's like you know, th- Theft Baby. I don't know. That's a like character. Nice. That's a character that I thought was gonna be very much a one-off gag, and the fact that that character yeah. stayed and actually kind of. I won't say got fleshed out, because no, but did get the actual chance to warm up on you was like, see, now this is where I do have to commend the writers is like, that's good. I, I really actually do like that. You you like you like little Noi. Well, it's a thing of, again, if if Noi and company were just like a one off gag where like Raya had to. Get the gem back. Okay, I get you. Like I would have been like, okay, uh, uh, all right, that that happened. That was weird. But like getting to stay with this little ragtag crew for a while, and also kind of get backstory and a little bit of character development, was unexpected and nice. Actually, take notes, screenwriters. <laughs> um. So yeah, and the Tong thing, I thought it was I mean there's no point in beating around the bush like Tong is basically just Drax yeah yeah that's it Mm -hmm. like it's kind of a tragic character that gets to be funny oh yeah totally I agree yeah oh yeah that's Drax (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's entirely true um while we are, I thought it was a very smart choice. I thought it gave a good weight to the to what where the story was going in that moment. Yeah, uh, 
I will continue with that, but I did want to, while we are on the subject of Tong, I will say, because I'm ob- I'm obliged to say this, I thought the vo- the vocal direct delivery and direction was a little distracting sometimes. It felt like there was a lot done with this voice sometimes that sometimes when he's talking, it got a little grit. And it's like, there was no way to just kind of like, I don't even want to say dial it down, but like make some things a little bit more succinct. Cause sometimes I'm, I'm like wading through the acting and directing choices to get to the line. It feels like, and it's just, that was a little much. I also didn't know what voice they were going to going for, for a little bit. So I was like, the fact that I don't like, this is the finished product. The fact that I kind of am searching for what voice you're going for is a little odd. <laughs> um, but I did love the character. I didn't expect to, cause, cause again, yeah, I kind of expected this character to be a little one and done. I didn't realize, like you said earlier, we were getting just a straight up a collect the gang along the way heist movie with this movie. And, I like it. I like that Tong got to come come along and get more development and was a shockingly deep character and mm-hmm. uh, really got to stretch his legs because Tong and Noi and uh, Boon, like, these are all characters that you could probably get away with just them being one-offs and Raya continues on her journey changed a little bit for the better. But, like... The fact that they get more, I think, enriches the entire movie. It enriches the entire experience and makes it more layered. And the different ways that you see that, like, people from each one of these territories are basically in the exact same place as you, Raya. Like, yeah, you are not alone in this. You may be uniquely talented and have the right tools to solve the conflict but like you there are mirrors of Raya's experience and trauma and adaptation and responsibility and loss throughout every single one of these characters and I thought that was amazingly well done um do you have anything else in that kind of realm because I I, I want to talk about the animation the animation was very good uh, I mean I think this is again it, it just feels like Disney is just getting better and better with each project it does. Because, like, just like Frozen 2, the fabrics with the textures and the folds and the patterns, the attention to detail, and it's just, they're so pretty. Like, honestly, like, I think I think that, <laughs> like, Raya and Namari's outfits are gorgeous. Like, literally, I could see those being, like, high fashion concepts today. Um, I, I think the design was so great. I thought it was so well seeped into the, into the, you know, the culture and then manifesting it in itself to where it's something that we recognize and is also fun to watch was really, really fun for me. Um, but also I think that like their use of expression, I, I thought for a hot sec when we first saw young Raya, that she was going to be kind of the same face syndrome that you get with Frozen. And then she grew up and I was like, okay, now you are recognizably not just a Disney princess face, which is great. And you also have a different face than Namari, 
which is great. Good job, Disney. You finally hit the minimum. Um, but I think that on, on top of saying that, their ability to be expressive was so good and such a great step forward because like when Raya and Namari are facing off in the first uh, first temple in tail and Raya's being sarcastic, like there are slight looks and slight cheek lifts and slight like, you know, ways the mouth is moving from, from you know, one side of the face to the other slightly with the jaw and the eyebrows that I was like, I know the exact kind of sarcasm and joke you're making right now, not even from Kelly Marie Tran's performance, but from the animation. And so I was just, I was so impressed with that for the whole, for the whole of it. And then on top of that, like going back, to not in clothing or characters, when they actually got up close to uh, Raya's dad's statue and the way that the stone was both smooth and had the dimples, I was like, mm, yes, thank you. I love it. I thought that they did so well with with the attention to detail and the the care that they put into this film. And also like the camera work too, like when they're running on that bridge away from Hart, the shaky cam in that moment, like really did, did a lot for it when they could have just done like, you know, a great like animation pan of like, look at all this stuff. But no, they chose to like direct it in that specific way. I really love, I really love everything they did visually with this movie. But also there were there there was one moment where I was kind of weirded out. So like I did love the cutout animation at the beginning to tell the story because it does remind me of like Vietnamese water puppetry, which is something that if you're a theater person, you should totally research because it's a great work art form. Um, essentially, like all the poles of the puppetry are underwater and then they pop up and there are like boats that float around to create like these cutout things. It's very clearly based on that kind of thing. But I didn't like when they were talking about like their plans to get into Fang and the animation suddenly became like Spider-Verse style. I was like, ah, that's very sudden. And I don't know if it fits. Well, while I won't a hundred percent like argue for it, quote unquote, I will say that I think that was kind of a specific choice because it was Boone being like, Overly enthusiastic, let's say. I guess. On that note, though, Sisu's plan of just, we're going to bring him a gift and then everything will be great. And they'll be like, we want to be friends again. And I was like, that's fucking adorable. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I think this is a good chance to kind of maybe take a step further in my criticism of Sisu. Like, moments like this, I appreciate the character of Sisu more than I think Sisu is funny. I think that's more the line that's the line that I'm actually on is that like, I like that Sisu is like blindly optimistic. I like the juxtaposition between her and Raya. I appreciate the character. The character design is really fun. Um, I like her energy and I like, uh, little things like, yeah, like you said, when she does do her plan and how playful and, you know, upbeat it is. And it's just that it's, it kind of, it's not the same. So don't mistake my words. It's not the same, but it does kind of now thinking about it in reverse, remind me of Emperor's New Groove that sometimes had like the little different kind of like cutaways with different animation styles. And it's just like, a, it brings a certain energy 
to it. And I think that character mm. of Sisu kind of is that same way sometimes of let's kind of bring in a breath of fresh air a little bit to uh, to make it not so one track in, in terms of like this is an action adventure film. Well, it's an action and adventure film, but like, let's also have a little bit of fun. So I do appreciate that part of Sisu. Right. Yes. But I feel like I derailed us, so I'm just going to start throwing out some of my other notes, and we can like go down rabbit mm-hmm. holes. Um, I do like in, on the character of Raya. Um, I really loved her introduction. I really loved the whole like hidden temple situation before we know that it's just her home. Um, uh, I really, I like how we show how she solves problems and how she's very into the idea of protecting her kingdom and into the idea of being both a nerd and feminine and able to do battle. I really like the the ability to straddle those various different parts of the personality. And I also immediately love Armadillo as a transport and Tuk Tuk, once again, voiced by the, uh, you know, infallible Alan Tudyk, which I hope you looked up. I mean... It's it's a thing that I don't even have to look up. I'd probably just guess. Is it Alan Tudyk? Is it D. Bradley Baker? It's usually one of those two fuckers. Um, also, but I do have to say, Google, what the fuck? Alan Tudyk has higher billing than Aquafina. Yeah, like come on. That's weird. I even looked at the does rest Gemma of Chan the have cast. Higher billing than her, at least. I looked at the rest. Did Gemma Chan, did, did Al- Kelly Mutran and Gemma Chan. Yeah, they're like build where you would expect them to be but like even if you kind of like go a bit deeper and like uh on the google page like go like all right what's the rest of the cast aquafina is just straight up not on there so i'm just like what's that about like you listed like 12 15 people and google's like that google's weird like that sometimes it's just weird just odd i've noticed that um when i first saw because uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. When I first saw Namari and Raya meet each other, I went, I ship them. My immediate next note is, oh, never mind. Wh- why? <laughs> they were cute together. I was like, ah. Oh, no, no, no. I said, why never mind? <laughs> well, because they meet each other and then she immediately betrays her. And I went, oh, never mind. I mean, again, I didn't know how the rest of the movie would play out when <laughs> they kind of come back together at the end. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, look, betrayal is never grounds for throwing out a ship. <laughs> <laughs> you could just ask the shippers um, in Avatar The Last Airbender about that. Um <laughs> yeah. uh, I love I love this I love the sword. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So much fun to watch. So much so many cool things you could do with it. Um and oh also I th- I found it so cool and spooky how no matter what pose you were in, like they very could have easily been like Ah, you're frozen how you ended up running. But the fact that the statues turn you into that, like, prayer pose, I thought was, like, cool and incredibly spooky. I want to go to Talon. I want to spend a night in Talon. I think that'd be very fun. This is also a fact that I do want to go to Cambodia, so. um, Because it seems like a very beautiful country, despite all the things that people have done to fuck it up over the years. Um... But yeah, and then beyond that, uh, you know, I liked that the support sign across the culture is also the sign how the dragons use their magic. Um, I loved the whole ending, like literally the entire ending sequence. I was just like ear to ear smile with the dragons and the rain and like the, the all of it. I really loved the ending. Um, and my last note is that Verana, uh, uh, Namari's mom, played by the lovely Sandra Oh, 
um, says something that in the moment I was like, mm, she'd be a Republican. And here's why. Um, so there is a moment where Namari is like, oh, we could, you know, they're on their way here. We could just cooperate and then we would all be, we'd all be okay. And Verana is like, well, you know, we're already okay because of our canal. So, you know, you know, I, I think we're just going to be fine. We're going to take the upper hand. And, and if you, if you give them those things, they're going to come at us as if we're, you know, cause we're responsible for this. And so like, we have to play this political game because if everything's made right, well, then people are going to blame us. And I'm like, mm, doesn't that sound fucking familiar? So right, that's that literally that's all my notes on Raya. It was it was hard. It was kind of hard to take notes because I I did like it. But there was something a little like mm, I could have I could have been given more and some things, you know, so like it, it truly just the only thing for me is that the story is so packed with stuff that you lose places where it could have been better for characters or, you know, the plot could have taken more time because I, because I wanted to be there. There was never any point. It wasn't like, you know, what, what we'll talk about in a few weeks where, you know, I didn't want to be here anymore. It like, I wanted to be here. I want to spend more time here. And so because the plot is moving very quickly, I am feeling like it's almost like when you're on a really small roller coaster and like you're having fun in the middle of it. And then it's just over. And I mean, you were like, oh, man, that was a lot. That was a lot of adrenaline. And I, I really enjoyed it. But like, I wish, wish it could have been longer, man. Shucks. So like the wooden roller coaster in Mall of America. Kind of, yeah. Or the, uh, what is it, the fucking Hedwig or the Buckbeak ride? Yeah, the Buckbeak ride in uh, the wizard part of Universal. Oh, I haven't been there. Uh, I, rode the, I rode the Cyclone at Coney Island, so that's one people will know. Mm-hmm. I but I get that feeling though. I get the feeling of like I like it because it's a roller coaster, but also, I mean, I just want more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't even know how you would do like a sequel to this. Like the dragons are all there, so like you'd have to you'd have to really take like a hard left turn in some other myth. Um, and I don't know if this is like I don't know if this is I think this is truly a hundred percent original. I don't think they base this off any myth per se particularly, and I think that they very much like. Like the the cats that they ride from the Fang people to to Tuk Tuk, I think those are truly just like inventions. I don't know if they're based around regional mythology. Like they need an original threat now. They they need right, a new exactly. threat, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I would just be like, huh? But I would almost find that that that's probably a temptation to add more characters, and I'm like, mm, I I want more time with these. Hmm. It's also going to be a case of the It's going to be a case of the get rid of Superman. Right. Because you now if you need to do another story, you have to conveniently find a way for the dragons to not just fix Thanks. it. <laughs> right. Um the one thing that but I But also like there's a whole there's also a whole thing where it's like, you know, we they touch on they touch on uh, Cease's relationship with her siblings through grief and her powers coming back. And so, like, I would want more on them, too. Like, you know, it was kind of cathartic when they came back and she had that moment, but it wasn't really cathartic for us because we don't know them. Yeah. Um, The only real thing that I have um, 
Well, no. The real things I've already said. The real kind of like, mm, this is actually kind of a criticism things I've already said. So now I'm just left with that similar feeling of like, I really liked this, but I'd be lying if I said this was the best I thought this story could do. Right. Uh-huh. I agree with that. I think this... That's, that's going to be a theme this whole episode. <laughs> this story, like has legs to still be better if you if you gave the writers another crack at like you know another rewrite another rewrite you know polishing some things maybe changing some things up to be a little bit more streamlined maybe letting some characters have a little bit more to do or maybe a little bit less to do or you know stuff like that i think you might organically kind of find the quote unquote best way to tell the story but this is like I've mentioned before, with one problem you'll find as a critic is talking about the films that are aggressively just average in a way that's like, you on paper did everything right, you just don't have that X factor of being super memorable or super great or super terrible. It's like, um, it's like a college professor grading like papers where you could kind of do what you wanted and uh, this is this has happened i'm sure to a bunch of us where like you do something that's really really good but you're just kind of off the mark so it's like you, you gotta be just because it's like mm, i know you could have done better like you're right and you're doing something well but I'm, I'm just i'm just gonna give you a b because i think you can do better and that's gonna be me for both these movies today well for for me it's like I talked about that other thing with uh, criticism where something is aggressively average, but the other thing you have to watch out for that not a lot of people know just from the surface level of understanding of what a critic does, because they think it'll be as simple as, is this good or is this bad? Should I see this or should I not? But more often, you'll either run into the first thing of something being competent but not great, so is that bad? Cause the movie wasn't bad, but it also wasn't particularly good. Then you'll also have what I think is the case with Raya, which is what you gave me was good, but I want, I want you to do more than good. So then the thing is like, well, is good now bad? And you're like, no, 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 no. Good is good. And then they're like, so it's good. And you're like, no, that's the thing. I, It is good. But it's not great, though. And I know it can be. But is that the fault of the film? That's the trick. Is like, it's not really a film's fault if everything about it was good, but you know it could be better. Like... Okay, well, the film did its job then, and you liked it, so shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is the tension. I think we did a good job of expressing that we liked this movie. We, we did. It's just we nailed it, like, basically when we started talking about it. The film kind of just lends itself, from a story perspective, way better as a series. Mm-hmm. This is a story that would thrive as a series and is also good as a film, but it's not thriving. It's living. It's not thriving. It's 
So ne- next up, we're talking nonsense now. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's talk about Luca. Yeah, is it my turn? I mean, is it my turn to describe it. Let's time Trevor. Okay. <laughs> um, I I will say this: it feels like the ocean versus surface dweller monster and thinking each other are monsters thing. It's kind of overdone. We've seen it before. Like, literally, that was one of my first notes in the beginning as I as I kind of started to piece the plot together. It was just like, oh, are we going to do this? We could have been more nuanced with this. We could have changed well, it Well, to be fair. Bit, it kind of breaks away, but... The, the ocean dwellers have a reason. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So so Luca is a mer, a mer boy, uh, a... a a sea monster. They they very much say sea monsters over mermaids. So like I'm gonna I'm gonna use sea monster as the as the term because they never say what they call themselves. So I'm just gonna go with what the Italians call them. He's a sea monster. Um, has you know four limbs, a longer tail, and like humanoid features that are just seaified. Lives with his family. His family, you know, the, the the village he lives in is kind of you know slightly rural. He he has like um you know fish that are his sheep, which I found cute as fuck. Um, the way that they, the, the expressions those sheep made, the sheep fish. Um, and he, uh, through the actions of the boy he will later meet, uh, Alberto, uh, finds a bunch of human artifacts at the bottom of the sea and starts to get very curious. But he's also terrified of going to the surface based on what he's been told. And his parents are like, don't go there. You're, you know, it's only trouble. They're there to kill you. Um, the exact quote that I loved from his mother, who's played by Maya Rudolph, is like, they are, did you see a boat? And he's like, no. And she's like, stay away from it. They are they are here to do murders. And I loved that. I thought that was funny. Um, so eventually he meets Alberto face to face. And Alberto shows him his little island uh, where he goes back up onto the surface, away from all the people, to enjoy the spoils of the surface, where it's the sun and the trees and gravity and walking and all these things. Um, and kind of introduces Luca to this new fantastic life. And he has all these artifacts he's collected. Um, and the thing that they're fascinated most by is the Vespa, because this is set in uh, the Amalfi Coast in Italy. Um, I think it's the Amalfi Coast. Um, and so they develop a friendship where they're like building like makeshift Vespas on the island. And they you know get really close and... Um, it's also worth noting that they look like humans when they're above ground. When they dry off, they don't look like sea monsters anymore. It's like their power. So uh, they, his uh, Lucas' parents get inklings that he is going up to the surface, and so they're going to send him to the deep with uh, Luca's uncle. Uh, and so Luca, in response, runs away, finds Alberto, and Alberto says, well, they're not going to look for you if they're afraid of the humans, so let's go to town. So they decide to finally go to town and start living as humans there. They meet this girl, Juliet, uh, Julieta, or Julia, you know, depending on who's talking to her, um, who's kind of an outcast. They meet the bully um, as well, and they find out about this competition where if you do a triathlon, which it's not a full triathlon, it's swimming, pasta eating, and going up a mountain on, on hill uh, and coming back, that you get a certain amount of money, and they find out that they can use that to buy a Vespa. So they can escape together and live in the world on their own and explore everything they want to explore and sleep under the fishes, which is actually what they think the stars are. They think they're anchovies. I think that's adorable. Um, and so the conflict that they run into is that Julia, uh, Julia's 
father is uh, a sea monster hunter. And so in order to like get the money to be a part of this competition, they have to help her father and conceal their identities. Um, and so they spend all this time concealing their identities. Uh, eventually a rift forms between the two boys where Luca starts to become even more fascinated with the human world and wants to go to school with Julia um, out of town. Uh, and Alberto wants to just be free and escape and not learn things. Um, and so it causes this rift between them, which causes Alberto to show his hand and show Julia that they are sea monsters. Luca betrays him and pretends that he doesn't know, um, but that's very short-lived. Julia, uh, Julia basically figures it out very quickly. So now they're in this whole conflict of, well, you two should get away. This is very dangerous for you. But Luca decides, you know what? For everyone's sake, I am going to compete in the triathlon and win so we can have our freedom because I don't want to live in either world where I can't do any of this. Um, he finds a creative way to do it. Um, but, and Alberto eventually comes to his senses and comes to help him, but they're both discovered by the whole town. They finish the triathlon and then everyone decides, you know what? They're not so bad. Uh, and so we'll give them the prize anyway. Meanwhile, during all of this, his parents are looking for him. They come to the surface as well. They're very funny. And the whole world decides to accept them. And Luca ends up going off to school. Alberto has, uh, established a relationship with Julia's dad and he kind of adopts him um, in that way. And they end up separating when Luca goes to school and Alberto stays. And that's where they leave the movie. And they're very much like, you know what? You'll always be with me and I'll see you soon. Um, and that's the end of the movie. This movie is gay. <laughs> so here's my thing. Here's my thing. There's always, this has been talked about since the movie was announced that this was going to be a a movie about homosexuality. Because for a while, I thought that they had ditched that. I thought, mm, what is Pixar's angle with this? And the whole time I was like, okay, are they going to kiss at some point? Are they going to express their feelings for each other? Are they going to do any of that? They don't. The most intimate part of the entire movie is at the end when they're holding hands with each other and... Alberto's running along with the train that's taking Luca away and they like don't let go and they both start to start to tear up. And another line said by Luca's mom once once the town accepts them is the line. I think I wrote it down verbatim. It's very important. She says um, some some will never some will never accept him, but he seems to have found the good ones. And that was the moment where I went, cool, there's the allegory. There is the allegory of having to hide your identity and and you know try to fit in in the world that where some people will never accept you, but many will if you give them the opportunity to. But here's the thing. That's still, like, it's very important, but it is kind of a cop-out as a queer story because clearly Disney, Disney sucks at this because Disney can't do... It legitimately, they have to sidestep it for a, for the Chinese market, and I hate that. There's a way to do this where you just release two damn versions of the movie. It's not that hard. Like I I thought that this was very like I liked it, I enjoyed it, I thought it was a cute ass movie, and like you said in that review that you just looked up, it's like it's a movie trying very hard to have a have a meaning and make a point. But I think that because they're limited in what they can do as Disney due to either direct political influence or 
the general oh, notion that children can't see that kind of content, it just it just makes it fall flat to me. And that really that really was frustrating with me. I would have even taken at a bare minimum during the credits where they had animations of their lives, just a just a, a picture of them holding hands when they're a little bit older, like when they grew up and realized who they were. That's that's what I wanted. I wanted them to actually be gay, not just an allegory for being gay. And that's my thing. Here's the thing. The movie is gay. I don't know. Because this is a thing that you get used to when you study film. Because I took film film theory way too soon. In, like, the fucking second semester of freshman year. It was a bad decision. But thankfully, like, halfway through the semester, I was like, it clicked. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. This is what the whole class is about. (laughs) It was very bad. But, thankfully, I did have that aha moment because... There is such a thing as basically how film theory works is it's a way to view movies in an academic sense. So you can use race theory to look at films, to uh, kind of just view the film through a different lens. You can use auteur theory to look at films in the sense of like, how does the director influence whatever story they're working on and the execution of said thing? And there is queer theory. Queer theory is absolutely one of those ways to look at movies. And for this movie, you don't even have to use queer theory. It's just everywhere. I like, it was like every minute of this movie, I was just like, this movie is gay. This movie's really gay. Um, And for me personally... The whole, the the whole them kissing or not kissing thing was. I I wouldn't have wanted it anyway. Even if it was like a completely heterosexual thing of like you know Luca and Julia, I, I I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wanted any of it. Like I I'm fine with these kids not kissing each other. That's fine, but for me. It was never quite an issue of, like, are the kids going to kiss? Because I saw that discourse happening right when the trailer dropped. And I thought it was odd. Because it was like, okay, the film can be extremely gay without children kissing. Like, that's people were, like, demanding it. And that's when I was just like... This is starting to cross a very specific line of being just a, just a little uncomfortable, guys. Like, well, I think it's I think it's similar, like what we talked about two weeks ago, though, with Ginny and Kari. Which I would, it's almost like you know we we ended up doing this movie, and I would love to almost even do a bonus addendum talking to people who who do like almost exclusively look at things through queer theory um, on their interpretations of this movie because we are both not not uh of of you know the queer community uh so it, it just makes me wonder if that's like if it's a matter of you know there's a way to codify the movie and maybe they did it well in that way but there's so few instances there's so many instances of childhood crushes in the heterosexual world and there are so few that are that young in the you know in queer media there are so few, you know, you almost have to be like 17 to even see it remotely acceptable 
to express those feelings, even though they exist at the ages that Luca and Alberto are. And so that that's my thing. Is that like, yes, I get it. I get that there's a way to do this. And I'm not going to discredit your point in that way. But I do think that like to say that it's totally unnecessary is is missing a large factor of like what media exists at all and what this could have done. I mean, I just think there are better ways to do it then is is the whole thing. Because honestly, I just don't want to see that in Luca for some reason. Well, I know the reason. Yeah, maybe it's better suited for actual people, physical people. Maybe. Not even that, but it's just like, honestly, if you just, if you have it with like, just like, you could still have it in an animated movie, just like, you know, with adults or even, or even with teens, that's also fine. But like, this is a thing of, of, it just, it feels like Luca has a specific story already that... I think for what it is, is good and executed very well. And it is still like a gay story for me and in my own personal interpretation of it. Um, If you want to go. F- I think where you will find frustration with certain communities is that it is, it is gay enough in the context and the allegory, but it's, not so but it's not so representative yeah that's that's probably the wording i want it's not so representative of the community because there's a world in which straight people or people who don't want to interpret it that way can glide by no problem and potentially make the argument that it's not and that is that 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 hurts the point like i think the issue with it passes the straights the issue with most things of representation is just that yeah Good job. You just need more now. You just need more, more variation, different levels of it. You need it to reach a level of normativity, the same level of normativity that heterosexual depictions of everything are. Like, I think for me, that's the issue because it feels like a lot of people put everything on Luca. And I was like, well, I feel like Luca is a step where there need to be way more steps after. That's my thing. I don't want to really put everything into this one story. A story that I knew going in was never going to be fucking better than Toy Story or Incredibles. Yeah. Or anything it was like also that. It's just like, it was shorter. Like, this is a, this is like a 95 minute movie. Which... Honestly, I can't even think of anything else they do, though. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, you you can't really make it longer. It's like, it is one of the tightest, the tightest, you know, and like, all in all, smallest stakes Dis- uh, Pixar movies we've had in a long time. Yeah, and I like, th- I like the intimacy of that. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. I was actually going into watching it. I was, I was technically working while watching it. And I was very much like, oh, I'm going to knock this out real quick. This is really not going to take that much out of my day. Um, and because I don't know if there's ever going to be a more organic way to get to this, I... This movie... Oh, wait, no. I know what to talk about before that. Uh, hi. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you? Nice day we're having. Um, I would just like to ask the really pertinent question in my mind. 
Uh, I'm sure many of you are with me on the same exact page here. I, I, I'm sure you are. I, I don't even have to guess uh, when I say, why is Jim Gaffigan Luca's dad? <laughs> I liked it. Um, why? I liked, it. I liked his parents in general. I thought his parents were fantastic. Um, they were one of my favorite parts of the movie. Whenever they were on screen, I was like, oh, yay. What are they going to do now? What are they going to say? Um, I honestly just, at this point, this is just, this is has almost nothing to do with the actual movie or characters, and it is a hundred thousand percent a thing of I have seen the dad that isn't all here way too much now. I've had it. Stop it. I'm over it. I found it interesting what characters they chose to Italianize and which ones they didn't. Um, not that Italians need more representation in media. We've passed that. That was the 70s when that needed to happen. Um, but, like, the fact that, like, the surface-dwelling ones, but even not all of them are very Italian, and yet the sea monsters aren't, um, was very interesting to me. Because, yeah, making the choice to do Jim Gaffigan definitely takes away from, you know, uh, like a... I'm trying to think of an actor about the same age as Italian who would do that. Same, similar kind of character... Because there's also, like, you know, if we're going to play with, like, fun archetypes, archetypes that are not offensive, but, like, there are plenty of Italian dads who are, the like, my own, who are, like, the more emotional and less, like, in-charge ones of the family. Like, there's a there's a slight matriarchal system to Italian families. And so, like, you know, there's more you could have done with that with, like, you know, making them a little bit more Italian, um, which would get away from the very you know, the very American version of Jim Gaffigan, that Jim Gaffigan brings to that. I mean, the way Maya Rudolph played the mom, I think was a very nice in-between of, like, very much... It's kind of like when you do an evocation of somebody or something instead of an outright Mm -hmm. imitation. That's kind of that middle point that I did like, and then Jim Gaffigan is just... It's the combination, I'm realizing. It's the combination of why the fuck is Jim Gaffigan here? And then also, do we really need another dad character in animation or just in comedy in general of just like the dad who's, you know, blissfully unaware, arguably incompetent, really silly, a bumbling kind of buffoon to counterpoint the strong independent woman mother. It's just like I I've 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 now seen it too much. I've now na- I've reached that point now where it's just like the sight of it, the smell of it. I can't take it away from me. Take the plate away and throw it at the wall. <laughs> Because this isn't the movie's fault. It's not even my fault. This is your fault, Hollywood. You've gone to this well so many times now that anything that comes out of it seems rancid to me. I'm just like, stop this shit. (laughs) And I mean, honestly, you could have put anybody in that role and I still wouldn't have loved it. You could put John Mulaney as the dad. And I, no. That definitely wouldn't work. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Uh, Danny DeVito. Uh, but on the note on the note of fathers, I love Massimo. Yeah. And Massimo allows for the easiest John Mulaney joke we've ever done on this show. Well, I was born with one arm. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my exact note. I was like, because like you know, they made the whole point of Massimo being the tough tough sailor with one arm and the implication that he lost it with a monster. But I thought it was very important to be like, no, I was born this way. Like everyone thinks that, but no. Adored that. Massimo. Just... And Massimo's relationship with Alberto when he when Alberto gets revealed and has to leave and he's like, what, what where's Alberto? You know what? Is he okay? I'm gonna go check if he's okay. You I was know like, what? Thank you. If there was if you add any scene, you need a one on one. Yeah, that's fair. That's it. Which they kind of have when they start fishing, but they don't get it. Like, they only get it in montage after that. Because, like, when uh, Luca and Julia first have their, like, astrology kind of moment, you could have then cut to, like, Alberto mm-hmm. and Massimo. Because that's what they're do- They are fishing right then. I wouldn't be surprised if they wrote one and then just just cut it because it wasn't, like, working or something. Um, I would not be surprised if they wrote one and it didn't make the final cut. Um, but I, I just... I love I love that character. I love that it's not like made into a thing. That's when I kind of get a little irritated. But so, like I like the character of somebody who you think is going to be a bit toxically masculine and then is just masculine. It's just the positive elements of masculinity, which is yeah, like He's a good dad who cares for his daughter, who takes in these weird strangers because, I mean, they're her friends, I guess, and then gets to know them and sticks up for them at the end in, a, like, this movie is so gay. There's so many, like, there are so many parallels. Like, well, what are they? They're Luca and Alberto. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, that just that just writes itself. Like that's just... and honestly, the only the only toxically masculine character in the whole thing is the villain, Urkel. Yep. <laughs> and he is he is he is the most toxic Italian <laughs> with the sweater <laughs> that he doesn't get wet, and his cronies who then betray him at the end. Um, also, if you translate his name, his name's Urkel. <laughs> and like they went out of their way to be like, oh, he has the Italian teeth and the Italian tiny stash. And I'm like, oh, you, you, if you were going to make a caricature and if this was, and if Italians were oppressed, this would be bad, but they're not. Um. Like that character is so fucking extra. I'm shocked it wasn't a Renaissance villain. (laughs) Like Jesus. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, Like people try to claim that we don't have any good Disney villains in the modern day. Uh, Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Urkolo. Um <laughs> Beyond that, like, you know, do you have anything else like majorly thematic to say? Because otherwise I just have good notes. I just have things I found funny, things I found cute. Um, you know, like besides, you know, besides the true nature of like being able to sidestep for a straight audience or a politically oppressed, uh, oppressive audience, uh, politically oppressed audience, I don't have very much else to say besides, you know, it was very tight. It was very cute. It served a very small purpose. It is not getting, you know, ranked up there with the likes of Inside Out. You know, it's just not. Um, there's something about it that doesn't really like, hit as heavy. I didn't really tear up. You know, if we we're going to go on that barometer of Pixar movies, I didn't tear up to the last few moments of the movie. Um, I liked it. I really did like it. But again, it's it's a B. There's something that could have been done that could have been, you know, 
taken it to another level. And so from here, I'd just like to talk about the things that I kind of really liked. Then I will go ahead and say uh, the moment that utterly changed this movie for me, because at first this was one of this is this was an experience that was like, okay, okay, you're doing good so far. Okay, little archetype. This is a little archetypal. Okay, mm-hmm. You're progressing as at the way that I think you're gonna pro- uh, progress. Oh, okay, yeah. The 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 queer parallels are like right there. Okay, all right, let's go. And like it was just like that for a while, and so the movie like had me interested, but it was that level of interest that like if you get a text, you're gonna look at it while the movie's on, kind of thing. And right. you might like do a quick Google search or. You know, you may like look at Facebook for a second, and then you're right back in. Yeah, like, like I, I paid my I paid my electric bill during this movie. Like. Jesus, <laughs> there's something about that that seems so harsh. <laughs> it's no, it's really not. It's it's online. It's fine. I just it's I like, did, like pause it because I was like, oh, I gotta do that, and then I just did it because I would have forgotten. <laughs> it's like the thing you use in an insult, like you know what I want. You know what I did while your movie was on? I paid my fucking electric bill. it's just funny um but so like i liked the characters and i enjoyed the parallels of like you know um in the sense of like it never felt pandering that's the word i'm looking for it never felt pandering it felt like this is a parallel and then we get to a moment that immediately in instantaneously, this moment happened. My jaw dropped, and I was immediately taken back to Moonlight. Was the moment where Luca said, "Oh my God, he's a monster!" and just the utter heartbreak uh, yeah. and betrayal mm-hmm. on Alberto's yeah. face. And I stopped the movie, and I was just like, "You know that way Donald Glover does and weirdos and weirdo." Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, so this is really one of those movies. They even have this moment in there. I think this is the absolute last thing I'll say on this topic. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It hurt me so bad. And I picked up, I picked up on it. I don't know if this is, in terms of representation, I don't know if this is a movie that can help queer children and queer people understand themselves without someone externally talking about it. Like, referring to it as like, okay, well, you're feeling this way. Remember in Luca when they did that, and then the kid has to have the epiphany? It doesn't allow the space for someone to have that epiphany on their own, unless they're very already kind of in it, you know? I mean, that's fine. That's valid. But that goes back to my thing earlier of like, I don't want a movie like Luca to shoulder all of that by itself. Yeah, okay, you're right. Mm -hmm. I want Mm -hmm. Luca to lead to other movies, multiple movies that do do that that type of thing and more, and for, like, uh, all sorts of people on that LGBTQ spectrum and for people in terms of race and ethnicity and things like that. But it's like, I think people have this idea that one day... Disney's just going to do a movie about the, you know, how the fact that Republicans want to kill trans youth. And it's like, okay, okay. Should those types of projects happen? Yes. 
is a company like Disney going to do that on a random day in 2021? No. There is a you you're going to have to like kind of get there because honestly, it, even if Disney did something like that, I don't even know how well it would be accepted because it doesn't feel like they've earned the right to even talk about certain things because it's Disney. Like, Mm -hmm. so that's why I'm in the camp of just like Luca is a step and it should not be the last one. It should, it, I don't think it's the first one and there better be way more projects that capitalize on this and go even further after this. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. But, yeah, that moment shattered me. I was not ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Because I've grown pa- I've, like, stopped doing the thing where I try to, like, predict what will happen. So I legitimately was not trying to guess what was going to happen. <laughs> I was just mm-hmm. like, well, fuck. Now, I've ha- now I have tears. Now I need to stop. Yeah, because it, it very could it very well could have been like a well. Now we have a plan to make sure you're cool because I I accept you. It very it became an actual talking point of like, hmm, what is what does someone have to do to stay accepted when someone else is put in that position? Um, I also uh, like the kind of I like because immediately when the Silencio Bruno thing was introduced. I was like, this is going to be misinterpreted. (laughs) This is going to be taken to an extreme by some kid. And then I like the kind of, there's a little nuance there of like the Silencio Bruno thing is good. They make Alberto wrong. They make Alberto wrong sometimes, which makes it easier to go. Well, maybe Silencio Bruno is not always a bad, always a good thing. But I like that. It's not just Alberto was wrong. End of story. It's a thing of like, Mm -hmm. That that mindset needs to be repurposed to not just doing whatever you fucking feel like, regardless of the dangers, but using that mindset to address inward issues, which is something that fucking Alberto needs to do. That I loved when Luca used it with Alberto in a better context when Alberto is saying negative things about himself and that's where you need the Silencio Bruno moment when your brain is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when your brain is like doing that to yourself and beating yourself up. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm encouraging you because I want to make a point here. This so this has been uh, the episode. DJ needs some Silencio Bruno. <laughs> uh, you can reach us at Red Team. <laughs> Silencio TJ. Okay. Um, rapid fire things I liked. Um, unless you have anything else. I have, I have thoughts about you using Italian, which is not that far away from Spanish, to tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of which, a lot of my Italian was coming back when they would use words like ragazzi and soldi and stuff. I was like, ah, hey, I took that for two, three years in college. Um, and I don't remember all of it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I love his parents. I said that. I love grandma. I love that she sleeps with her eyes open. Um, I think that's hilarious. Uh, I really liked anchovies in the sky. I think that that was really cute. And then they have all these little sequences. What did you think of the sequences? 
there was like there was there's plenty of sequences of like Vespa fantasy like Luca fantasizes a lot and he does it about Vespas at one point they have the part where they're going into space and they're on da Vinci's gliders and then there's the one where him and him and Alberto use the ramp and fly up into the sky and they're amongst the anchovies but then he falls like what did you think of those like sequences there's a lot to read into in those sequences there's right. a, a a lot to uh, uh, there was so much that I'm just like I'm not even nope I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like I'm not even gonna try to start unpacking this. No, <laughs> that's for that is one of the things that I'm just like yeah yeah yeah. S- somebody in the LGBTQ plus community, I would like them to look into that specifically, and I'm going to stick to the academic side and like the you know the film review as just a film review side because I don't want to get shit wrong. I don't want to assume certain shit. Like, that's where I'm at with that. But there is so much packed in, you know, either consciously or subconsciously in terms of what Luca decides to dream about. And it's like that's one of the big positives of film is that that's where you really get the what film can do that other forms of media just can't do the same way sometimes is that sometimes you can tell a big chunk of the story with just like these little moments that don't have to abide by the rules of reality that you can just rewrite them to suit your needs in a dream sequence or a montage or what the fuck ever. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those moments and they reveal many things about Luca throughout the movie. Also on the, on a side, I had, I had had this thought, but didn't remember it till just now. Um, it, it is actually worth noting that like mermaids and like selkies and like those kinds of myths, the idea of like being this magical, mystical thing and then hiding it, it, it actually is like a consistent theme that has been uh, like appropriated by the queer community. Like I can't speak too much about the like very specific instances in which it's done, but I know that this is a theme that's actually played on in a lot of queer culture is the is that idea of like mermaids being the the beautiful thing that you hide. Um, and there's also like, you know, a very queer event is the mermaid parade on Coney Island. So, you know, that's also just something worth noting. It's like, Oh yeah, this was chosen on purpose. Um, I really like uncle Luco. I think he's very funny. Um, I think with the, the choice of that character is very funny. The quote I wrote is when he's like, you know, when he's talking about whale carcass, he's like, yes, good. I recommend it. And did you, did you watch through the whole credits to see the end? I did. Okay. <laughs> did you not like him? You know, there was an episode, I think it was the phase two episode that I just edited where I was like, it's interesting to see how our different senses of humor and how sometimes certain things will kind of <laughs> <laughs> highlight what TJ thinks is funny and what Trevor thinks is funny. And then it's nice to see like when we both find something really funny. <laughs> um, but in terms of the uncle, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> um, when Ercolo is first showing up on his Vespa at the cop and the, and the person in the window are just like, oh, dear God, the noise and the pompousness. And uh, I deeply understand these Italian citizens because if, if you haven't heard it in the background of our recordings, that's my life. 
Trust me, they can hear it in the background of your recordings. I am not that good of an audio engineer. Oh, the Ducatis! The Ducatis and the four-wheelers. Why? Um, I loved all of Julia's uh, saints who are actually cheeses when she is exasperated. Like, ah, Santa Mozzarella. Or, ah, Santa Pecorino. I love it. I love it. I thought it was so funny. Um, Machiavelli is the suspicious cat. I love it. I love him. <laughs> His whole thing on the boat with Luke, with uh, Alberto was so funny. I love the cat. I didn't expect to. I thought it was going to be like, oh, God, it's another one of those characters. And then they did it well. Um, Honestly. And then I love. Uh-huh. Honestly, it's weird to say this, given the context we've already talked to death on about Luca. But honestly, there is a part of me that does kind of want like a a sliver more of Julia as a character. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because she's done well. Like I just, she's just she, interesting. She comes in very late, all things considered. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, she's like she's absolutely positioned as the third wheel, like mm-hmm. as the new friend. Uh, <laughs> even though the other two are also new friends. <laughs> um. But yeah, I get how that does happen in like when you're a kid, though. I I, I was like, yeah, I'm there. I, I've been there. <laughs> also, I'm very pro weird little girls because yes. little girls are weird. Uh, little boys will 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 take what you give them and then obsess over it. Little girls like are the ones doing spells and learning science, and so we all need to support weird little girls. I just want more of them in, like, media. I just want it normalized. That it's okay to be a girl and be into chemistry and to make potions and have a potion set and be fucking weird, man. I But that, I also just find them fun to watch. I find them entertaining. Like, yeah, and just the, the scene of, like, too much? Never. I'm just like, I'm here for this. <laughs> I live for it. This is me like, and uh, most of my friends. <laughs> it's like Cassie Lang and Ant-Man uh, with the with the toy. And she's like, he's so ugly. I love him. Those are the little <laughs> girls you want to support. Um, not that you, you should support all little girls, but just saying. Um, like, actually, our, all, our, I think most, pretty much all of my girlfriends are like that. I think every girl that's been on the podcast has actually fit into that category so far. Well, I mean, I also love my <laughs> sisters who aren't that. So, like, true, yeah, you know, that's fair. What I'm, I guess, what I'm saying is, support the weirdness within your little girl, um, because they all have it. It's all there. I'm praying that you don't have any other notes, because that's a great way to end. <laughs> I have two less than the ones. I love it when uh, Luca it. gets knocked out on the bike and the stars are anchovies. Um, that was cute. <laughs> that was a that was and like then, one of those moments where you kind of remember that this is a cartoon because everything's done right. semi re- uh, realistically, and you're just like, oh yeah, we get to do these things. <laughs> um, I think that pasta as the second part of the triathlon is a terrible idea, and no one should be upset with Julia for puking every year because yeah, I mean yeah, it's fucking a plate of plain pasta. Um. <laughs> Honestly, tomato sauce would probably just make it worse due to the heartburn. 
Anyway, I'm getting older. And my last note uh, is uh, I loved the... I'm going to call them lesbians. I don't know if they are. The lesbian old ladies at the end yes. who are also mermaids. I am also reading that coding absolutely like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like, oh, we've been living in hiding. Also, I'm stunned that we never actually talked about that in Raya. Can we go back real quick? What? Um, like, Raya and Amari are in love. Like, come oh, on. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. come on. It's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is also why I wanted this to be a show. Like, get fuck Ross and Rachel. Give me Raya and Namari wrestling with their feelings for each mm-hmm. other for, like, three mm-hmm. seasons. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also, oh. also note that I, a note I had was, like, Urkelo doesn't really have a good reason to, like, persecute them. But then I rethought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's part of the point. Um, <laughs> so, um, despite wanting to end on Weird Little Girls, we can end on the true meaning of Christmas gaze um it's june some yeah i was gonna say like this this is not a mistake <laughs> no i mean like what do you mean the meaning of christmas june is busting out all over <laughs> it's not what do you mean what do you fuck are you talking about christmas this is june meaning of pride <laughs> thank you there we go yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's a good ending Oh, we stuck the landing for once instead of just ending up with nothing to say going, uh, uh, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that just leaves reject or renew for June. Woo. Which shit's Creek. I have not started. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, they're like eight epi- or like it's either eight or 13 episode seasons and they're 20 minute episodes. So like you'll go through it pretty quickly. That's why I haven't started it. Yeah. All things considered. Cause I'm like, I got better shit. To- we we're doing phase two this month. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the rest of this season is coasting for me. Like yeah. I've watched a good bit of what the rest of through July is going to be before we take our break. Yeah. Um, so I'm this, this really was the hard stuff. The hard stuff was phase two and then going into Luke, we have to literally wait for Luca. Right. And then, like, yeah, from here on. And then, you know, it's kind of difficult for me to sometimes do Reject or Renew, depending on how much or little I like the show. But then after this, yeah, finishing out July is going to be, like, fucking cake. Well, okay, I say that, but the record session we had yesterday was rough. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Vote for Reject or Renew uh, before next week so that uh, you get your vote in. Yes. Vote, please. <laughs> we always, yeah, we always like more votes. It makes it easier. Vote. Although sometimes it's not. If you all vote, we do have 60 shows on there. So if you all vote it's once for every show, it's not easier. But I just, like, I just want people. Support each other's opinions. It's just. Maybe. <laughs> like, I get super hyped for reject or renew and I feel like I'm so alone in this <laughs> you just like the draft I like you don't like the shows you like the draft that's not my fault though <laughs> like I know some shows are only there because I know people want them there not because I want them there 
Because if it were up to me, there'd be a whole lot of fucking like, all right, let's shit about friends today. Or let's talk about how How I Met Your Mother screwed the pooch. Or like, you know, the easy shit. (laughs) Yeah, you know, your comfort zone. Yeah, shitting on bad sitcoms. Silencio Bruno. All right. My name is not Bruno. So yeah, go vote on the website. And I will not be silent. <laughs> you can't silence me. Anyway. Juneteenth is tomorrow. <laughs> Juneteenth is today. Oh, I always think of the 18th. Um, but yeah. So you can visit us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Team Pod, as I was saying earlier as a joke. Uh <laughs> you can um you can visit our website, redteampod.com, to listen to any previous episodes and to vote on which show you want us to review for Reject or Renew. That poll is still up, and it will be closed by the time we record the next episode. Uh, we'll check our Instagram. We'll tell you when it like is closed. I think we should start doing like those countdown things on our story. Oh, yeah. Those do exist. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do those from now on. Uh, And until next time, uh, I've been TJ Patrick. And I was bored with one arm. I'm Trevor Carroll. It can't be the exact same joke. (laughs) (laughs) I was bored with one arm. Okay, there we go. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, yeah. More more LGBTQ content. More. I want more. Hey, mermaid. End the podcast. Make Ursula happen. I don't care. Ha- make it happen. <laughs>